Okay, everyone. Good afternoon. Today we are going to be reading from John 4, verses 1 through 26, and I will be reading from the ESV. Now, when, Je- when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee, and he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, asked for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews had no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying it to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with and the well is deep. Where, where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You are right in saying, I have no husband, for you had five husbands, and the one that you have now is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain. But you say that in Jerusalem is the place where God ought to, where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You, you worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming, and it is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. The woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming. He was called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Amen. Uh, good afternoon. My name is uh, Pastor John. My name is not Pastor John. My name is John Park, and I am a pastor. <laughs> I got into this habit of saying things like that. But uh, I want to welcome you guys. And um, Pastor Susie last week kicked us off on a sermon series 
titled Conversations with Jesus. Conversations with Jesus. How many of you guys love having deep conversations? Raise your hand. Right? I love having deep conversations. I love learning and seeking out the revelations and the lessons within these conversations. And I love this sermon series. I feel like this sermon series can go on for many, many months. I don't know how many we're actually going to have, but today's the second one. Last week, Pastor Susie talked about the conversation between Jesus and the woman with the issue of blood. And it was, it was such a powerful sermon. And one thing I want to remind us of from the sermon to kind of refresh us, part of the sermon, she said how this woman with the issue of blood, who's been bleeding for years, she fought against many barriers. She fought against social expectations. She fought against physical barriers. She fought against her own cynicism and jadedness. She fought against all these things and she reached out to Jesus to be healed and healed she did. And I love what Pastor Susie said and she said, Jesus was surrounded by so many people. Many people were touching him, but this woman was the only one actually reaching out to him. And that was such a powerful imagery challenging us, brothers and sisters, that we can be around Jesus. But she was exhorting us to reach out. Reach out in faith. And so, there was a lot that, was, that came out of that conversation. Today, we're going to read, as Brother David shared today, we're going to glean into, lean into and glean a lot from this conversation that Jesus has with the Samaritan woman. Amen. John chapter 4. What a rich, such a rich conversation here. There's so much in here. Did you know actually that this conversation was the longest recorded conversation that Jesus had recorded in the Bible? This is the longest conversation that Jesus had that's recorded in the Bible. And I'm, I'm sure there are longer conversations that were not recorded in the Bible. Surely. Right? Which means, there's, which means there's so much here. And if there's anything, if there's anything I would like us to catch in this conversation, the main point here, I just want to share it from the beginning, it's this. It's that the gospel, the power of the gospel, not only saves us, but the power of the gospel also transforms us today. The gospel not only saves us for our eternal destiny, but the gospel day in and day out has its impact today. The gospel is transforming lives today. And yes, the gospel changes us. Today I'd like to share five points that I notice in this passage. Let's get right to it. First point that I notice here is Jesus pursues intentionally. Jesus pursues intentionally. In the scripture we read that Jesus, he was in this place called Judea. And he was leaving Judea, and he was going to this place called Galilee. Galilee is where he grew up as a, when he became a man, right? He grew up in Nazareth, Jesus of Nazareth. And Nazareth was in Galilee. 
He was on his way up north. But the thing is, between Galilee and Judea was a town called Samaria. The thing is, most people, what they do, when they travel from Judea to Galilee, what do they do? They actually take a detour. They take the longer, more inconvenient route. And go, they go around Samaria to go to Galilee. They avoid Samaria. Why? Because people of Judea, the Jewish people, it's not that they were afraid to go through Samaria. You know how in the inner city sometimes we're like, let's not go through that route. It's dangerous. We might get shot or whatever, right? It wasn't like that. The Samaritans, it's not that they were dangerous. The Jews just hated the Samaritans. And they believed that they didn't want to get anywhere near anything that would, what? Defile them. How, come on, how wicked is that? Like, how can you look at another human being and think to yourself, I don't want to get near those kind of people because I'm going to get dirty. But you got to understand the Jews. The Jews, they were so meticulous. They were so focused on living a pure and holy life. But here Jesus is. He's not going around. He's going right to Samaria. He's going right to Samaria. He's not avoiding. And it says right in the scripture that it was about the sixth hour, which means it was noon. It was bright out. It was right in the, you know, right in the middle of the day. He goes to this specific well. You know, this was not the only well in Samaria. It was not the only place where people came to drink water. There were many wells. But here we see that Jesus goes right into Samaria. He purposefully goes to get a drink at this specific well, at this specific time, through this route to meet specifically this woman. It's planned out. It wasn't by accident. Here we see that Jesus meets this Samaritan woman intentionally. I see here that Jesus, what is he doing? He is pursuing this woman. Jesus pursues intentionally. And let me tell you, Jesus pursued my life intentionally. Jesus pursues your life intentionally. And still today, Jesus pursues you and I intentionally. The second point that I notice here, ah, this is so powerful. Jesus uplifts her dignity. Jesus uplifts, she, he restores her dignity. Jesus, when this woman shows up, Jesus says, hey, I'm thirsty. Could you, could you, could you draw out some water? Can I get a sip? Can I, can you give me a drink of water? And then this woman is like, she's not like, oh yeah, sure. As a gesture of kindness, she's like, what? Why, what are you doing? What are you, why are you asking me this? Like, why are you talking to me? Not because she didn't want to associate with him, but it's because she was so used to being ignored. She was, she was so used to the social norm that Jews were not allowed to talk to Samaritans. At that time, it's pretty bad. 
Jewish rabbis, first of all, there were many barriers that Jesus crossed here. The first barrier is this, the gender barrier. What we see here is that in that society, in public, men didn't talk to women in public. Men didn't have conversations with women in public. That's the first barrier. Now, that wouldn't fly today, right? That would definitely not fly today, right? But the second barrier we see here is that, I'm going to go into this more later, she had a really bad reputation. She had a really bad reputation. Jewish rabbis, what they taught, they thought it was a sin to touch any utensil that a Samaritan touched. It was not even about getting near them. Anything they touched, if I touched them, they would have to go do a cleansing ritual because they thought they were dirty. Wow. A Jewish teacher would have refused to drink from any vessel of a Samaritan. Now, doesn't that give us context? When Jesus says, Hey, could you give me a drink from your cup? Why is Samaria so bad? Let me give you a little history lesson. Back in the Old Testament, when God allowed the Israelites, God allowed his people to be attacked. They were attacked in in some point in history by these people called the Assyrians. The Assyrians, they captured them and they spread the Jewish people all across. They exiled the Jewish people. But amongst the Jewish people, there were actually some Jews that were actually very low class in society. They were very poor. They were considered useless in society. They were not captured. They were left behind in their own land. But as the Assyrian people came into the land, they would intermarry with these Assyrians. They were intermarried with people of different culture. And what would happen is the Samaritans were formed. They were people of mixture. They were considered half-breeds and low-class citizens. There was so much mixture of religion. They took a little bit of the Jewish belief. They took a little bit of the Assyrian belief. They took a little bit of the Babylonian belief. In a Jew's perspective, they were known to be a cult. They were known to be a cult. They're like the Shinchanji of, you know, in their perspective, all right? Now, it was so bad that scholars say that the Jews actually hoped that the Samaritans would never have a chance, that they would have a, never have a chance to meet them in the resurrection. It was that bad. How can you look at another human being and think, I hope I don't see them in the resurrection? Wow. And here Jesus is. Just that one, that's just that one small statement. Give me a drink. And that act of being there spoke volumes to this woman. She was so used to being ignored. She was so used to be, you know, looked down upon. She was so used to this, this social norm that she was an outcast. She was dirty. She was not worthy of being talked to. What happened here? The mere act of Jesus asking for a drink definitely caught her off guard. She was so surprised. This was unexpected. 
This was unexpected. You know, in my life, some of you guys know uh, my story, but I just want to share it one more time for those who have not heard. There was a time in my life in high school, <laughs> in high school, where I was actually a very evil boy. <laughs> Literally an evil, wicked boy. And I would live in such a way that it's not that I wanted to avoid my parents when I did bad things. I wanted them to find out. I was at a place in my life where I had friends in middle school, but because of my parents, we moved to another state in America. So I started hating them for that. And I made it a goal of mine where I didn't care if they caught me doing anything. So long story short, I made new friends. I got mixed up with the wrong crowd. And I started doing drugs. I started you know, smoking, drinking, all of the above at the age of 15. And at this time, I remember I would walk home and I would go home high. My eyes are bloodshot red. And then I said, hi, mom. She would collapse to the floor and she would just start weeping. This is my son. But the thing is, my heart was so cold. I didn't even care. I remember this other instance where, you know, I I found a new family. The family that supplies me money. Family that gives me the drugs to sell and all that. I was like, you know what? I don't want to live at home anymore. So I told my dad this specific incident where in front of our house, I looked at him and said, Dad, I'm no longer going to live with you anymore. I'm going to go live with my other family. So goodbye. So I started walking away and he grabbed my shirt and he wouldn't let go. So I took off my shirt, right? And then I ran away. I literally ran away. I looked behind me My dad was right behind me, running after me. And I was like, oh crap. I just kept running, I just kept running. And then I heard him scream. And I looked behind me, he had tripped and fell. And his head had hit some some stony uh, path. And he was lying there bleeding. But my heart was so hard, I said, good. And I ran away. That was my heart. That was my relationship with my family. And there came a day when the police caught me, me and my friends, at a big fight. They found drugs on us. They found all this stuff on us. And I ended up, you know, I thought we would go to the police station. They would call my parents and that they would pick me up because it's not the first time that, you know, they would, you know, pick me up from the police station. I would I get caught shoplifting. I wasn't good at it. So they would pick me up from the station all the time. (laughs) But this time I was like, okay, they'll probably tell my parents to pick me up. But I didn't know that they took me to somewhere. They gave me a red jumpsuit and I ended up in juvie, in juvenile detention center. And long story short, I stayed there. I had to stay there for about two months. I was 15 years old. And this is what happened. I went in on a Friday On a Friday, it was a December. And visitation times are only Sundays once a week for only 30 minutes. And I was in there. I couldn't believe I was in there. I watched TV shows like, you know, the show Cops and stuff like that. Like I was like, oh, I guess I am that guy now. (laughs) I was in there. Sunday came around and I thought to myself, man, I hope I don't want to see my parents. I hope they don't visit me. I don't want to see them. 
And then Sunday came around. I was in my cell on the intercom. They said, hey, Mr. John Park, your mother and father are here to see you. Please get ready at the doorstep. And I was like, dang it. I have to face them. So I went out. I sat in front of them. And you know what I was thinking? I was thinking, I was, I was not remorseful at all. In my mind, I was thinking, let's just get this over with. Like, do what you need to say. You know, scold me, disown me, whatever. Say all these things. And I was just kind of just expecting that. And I was just like, hurry up, hurry up, hurry up. I didn't even look at him in the face. My mom couldn't even talk. She was just weeping. Come on, 30 minutes, hurry up, hurry up. And all of a sudden, my dad started talking. And my, my dad started to say all these things. He said, John, Kenchano, are you okay? John, do you need anything? Are we allowed to give you stuff? Is it cold in there? John, are you hurt? This whole time, I'm not saying anything. And then he's saying all these things like, John, I just want to let you know that you're still our son. We love you so much. And we're just glad that you didn't get hurt and that you're okay. And then right before they left, my dad asked me one question. He said, John, after you finish your time here, when you come home, what do you want to eat the most? And then they left. And I sat there. I went back to my cell. And you know how I felt? I felt confused and I felt angry. I felt confused and angry because why? I was so not expecting that. I expected my dad to disown me right there. After what I had done to him. After I had run away, after he hit his head on the rock. I thought he was going to scold me. I thought he wouldn't want anything to do with me. And here he is saying stuff like, What do you want to eat when you come home? I hope you're doing okay. I sat there in my cell. And I started having these dreams. These dreams about these images of my mother crying and my father bleeding on the ground. I started thinking and I started having these nightmares. And all of a sudden, one of these nights, I started having dreams about Jesus bleeding on the cross. And I felt like at that moment, Jesus was trying to reach out to me. It's as if Jesus was saying, I'm trying to show you who I am through your father. You know, I share this story because I totally did not expect my dad to treat me like that. That's when I received Christ as my Lord and Savior. That's when I started to believe what I learned in Sunday school. Because my father had reached out to me like that. My story is something I was reminded of when I read this passage. How does this woman feel right now? How does this woman feel right now? Point number three. Jesus offers a new perspective. So the first was Jesus pursued her intentionally. Second was Jesus uplifts her dignity by reaching out to her. And third, Jesus offers a new perspective. He offers her eternal life. He offers her that which did not satisfy her for years and years and years. He says, give me a drink. She says, 
Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. And then he says, look, if you knew who I was, I wouldn't be asking you for a drink. You would be asking me for a drink. And the drink that I have to offer is not from this well. He says, the drink that I have to offer is living water. Did she get what he was talking about? No, she didn't. She didn't get it. But Jesus says, everyone who drinks this water that I will give it will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. You see, here's what's happening. This woman, she's still thinking physically. She's thinking physically. She's thinking, okay, this living water you're talking about, can I get some of that? Give me some of that. But Jesus, is he talking about physical water? Some magical water to make all her problems go away? No. Jesus is speaking spiritually. He's giving her a different perspective here. She is focused on what will bring satisfaction physically. Christ speaks of what will bring satisfaction spiritually. Brothers and sisters, I'd like us to examine our relationship with Christ. A lot of times, I myself, I even find myself going to Jesus, not to supply and fulfill my spiritual needs, needs of my heart. But I start going to Jesus to fulfill. I want some of that magic water. Lord, if I come to you, give me that which will satisfy my physical needs. Which are important to him. But Jesus is saying here, hey, you keep having that perspective. You keep going after these things. You're going to continue to be thirsty. She didn't get it. She didn't get it. Point number four. And this is so beautiful. I love this. It's all beautiful. <laughs> Point number four. She leads, Jesus leads her to repentance. Jesus leads her through repentance. And it's not, hey, repent <laughs> like directly like that. Let me, sh- let me show you how he does this. You see, the conversation could have ended right there. Right? The conversation could have been like, hey, take this living water, take this salvation, take this eternal water. And she could have been life transformed right there and be like, I received this. Thank you for giving me eternal life. And then the conversation ends right there and she walks away. But Jesus is not done here. And this is really important, guys. He exposes her sin. He says, go, call your husband and bring him here. And she's like, I ain't got no husband. He's like, gotcha. You got five, actually. <laughs> and the one you're with right now, he's not your husband right now. And she's like, oh, crap. <laughs> he exposes her sin. He exposes her five husbands. Think about it. Even having modern day today, even if someone has, has had five husbands today or five wives, right? 
that ought to raise some eyebrows. Like, whoa, you're divorced five times? That, you, know, you know, even modern day. But back then, when times were super conservative, can you imagine? Now, we don't exactly know. Scholars and commentaries, they, they speculate what this means, these five husbands they had. It could be that all five husbands had tragically passed away one by one. But even if that were true, she would be considered cursed in that community. It could be that she was just immoral. It could be that she went after, she was married to this man, and then she, and the infidelity came into the picture. It could be that she cheated on him, so he had a right to divorce her, husband after husband after husband. It could be that. If that were true, can you imagine her reputation in the community? Or it could be, or it could be that the husbands, that the husbands just, because back in, the, back in those times, husbands see, just saw women as property. It could be that the husbands just move on. But even still, whether it was her fault or not, in society, guess what? She had such a bad reputation. Such a horrible reputation. I love this about Jesus. He exposes sin not to humiliate her. but to give her a better life. Jesus has a way of speaking the truth in love. He has a way of exposing and calling out sin in our lives, but he does it in such a way that's not condemning. He does it in such a way when when we understand the heart of Jesus and when he brings conviction and exposes sin in our life, it's not to embarrass you or to shame you. Jesus is desperately saying, hey, leave that life. It's not doing you any good. I want so much more for you. My teachings, my ways, could you just give it a shot? Could you just trust what I have to say? It's not good for you. She looked to her lifestyle. These uncommitted relationships to satisfy her. Here, as she's exposed to these five husbands, I imagine her in her heart, spiritually even, not physically, spiritually, in her heart, there is a gaping hole. She is thirsting for purpose and significance here. And she has gone to husband after husband after husband, to define who she is, to give her her peace, to give her her security, to give her her identity, to give her her dignity. But every husband that she goes to, she's let down again and again and again. This is why Jesus travels straight to Samaria, meets her at this well, because in his heart, he desires to give her a dignity that nothing can ever fulfill in her heart. Nothing. 
I point this out because he doesn't only offer her eternal life. He guides her through transformation. You see, after I received Christ there, I could have just been like, thank you and continue with my old lifestyle. But again, the gospel not only saves us, the gospel transforms us. The gospel gives us a new worldview. The gospel gives us a different, lasting reason to have peace. The gospel gives us our security. The gospel gives us a new identity. The gospel says you don't have to go from this husband to this husband to this and that to shape who you are. And my question to us, and I've asked this before, referring to the sermon, it says, what are our five husbands? What is it that shapes your peace, that gives you your security? What is it that you seek again and again and again to give you your dignity and your purpose? A couple of years ago, this passage spoke so powerfully in my life because there was a time when I took a little, a short rest from ministry. And for the first time in my life, some of you guys know I had anxiety attacks for the first time. I started having panic attacks and I started losing it. I went to a very deep hole. I was kind of resting from ministry, but I was still doing my ministry obligations, actually, making the weekly Bible studies. And that week that I was going through stuff, it happened to be John chapter 4. I was like, let's just, let's just finish this, give it to the house church leader so I can just vacation, whatever. God met me as I was making that Bible study. And I found myself weeping on the floor because I felt like the Holy Spirit was saying, John, what are your five husbands? You know what one of them was? It was my job. It was ministry. Being away from ministry, being away from my job, I felt like I was empty. There were many things. There were relationships, even good things. Community. Friendship. The way that I have to build myself up to uphold a reputation so that these people will like me and respect me. All these things I was going to, to shape who I am, to satisfy the thirst for significance in my heart. But Christ at that moment was saying, hey, stop drinking from those things. Come to me. Let me tell you who I am. Point five, the last point. Jesus transforms her life to be one of overflow. Remember what Jesus said to her? He says, not only will I give you this living water, this eternal life, but I will make you into a well as well. Can you just imagine with me just this image of a dry and parched land? Rain falling upon that land. And that land becoming fertile and healthy again. But almost like too fertile and healthy. To the point where that land now becomes a place where they dig a well. And provides life to those around them. What happens to this woman? What happened to her? 
David didn't read this part for us because it was getting a bit long and I left it out on purpose. But let me tell you what happens after he drinks and has this gospel encounter with Jesus. It says that she leaves her water jug behind. (laughs) She leaves her water jug behind and she runs off into her hometown and says, This man, he read my mail. He told me everything I've ever done. I'm not ashamed of it anymore. What does she begin to do? She begins to testify of this eternal water that she's been drinking from. That's powerful. That's powerful. You know what Christ wants to do in our lives? He not only wants to satisfy your soul. He wants you to share your story and to become a well to those around us who need this gospel, who need this hope. We are saturated in a society. So many voices, so many influences to try to shape who we are. These people need to know. The people contemplating suicide need to know. The people that are wrestling with their identity, the people that are struggling with self-hatred, the people who think that they're ugly because society says this is what beauty looks like. These people need to know there is a different source that you can go to. You can get your peace. You can get your security. She She finds this newfound dignity. I love that she leaves her water pot. Just a symbolism of leaving even the five husbands, leaving that which molded and shaped her and gave her peace. Brothers and sisters, it's the good things. Marriage, a good marriage, will not satisfy us. Relationships will not satisfy us. Success in your job, in my case ministry, will not satisfy us. How others see you will not satisfy us. But Christ will satisfy you. Christ will satisfy you. You need the heart of Christ in this conversation says this. I see you, and I pursue you. I will reach out to you and meet you where you are. Christ's heart in this says, you are worth, you are worth pursuing. Christ's heart in this says, I will lift you up and restore your dignity. Even your own thinking about yourself, let me restore that. Let me give you a new perspective. Christ's heart says, hey, there's more to than just this temporary life and this perspective, this rat race that we keep trying to go after. Let me give you an eternal perspective. Let me give you a new hope that I have a kingdom that's coming and that I want you to have a place in it. Christ's heart says, I want to lead you away from that which shackles you and damages your life. I want to transform your life. I want to fill you I want to fill you with the Spirit. 
I want you to be a person of testimony. I want you to overflow. This is what Christ has to offer in this conversation. Can I ask uh, Yun to come? Um, I want to take some time to do ministry. When I was reading this passage, I had to actually spend some time. It doesn't come automatically. It really doesn't come automatically. What, who are, what are the five husbands in my life? What are the identities? What is the status that I have been longing for and pursuing after? What will actually bring me joy? Let me speak this truth, brothers and sisters. You are beloved. You are a son and daughter of the Most High. You are so loved. You are worth pursuing. Your past does not define you. What you have done already does not define you. You are a child of God. You are a new creation. You are covered by the blood of Jesus. The righteousness of Christ covers you. You are a citizen of heaven. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. You bear the image of God. Jesus has so much to say about you. Jesus wants to tell you who you are. Are we listening? Are we listening? Just take some time to ask the Holy Spirit to uncover these things. We can call them idols. We can call them five husbands. We can call them dependencies. Whatever you want. But ask the Holy Spirit to expose these things in our lives. And trust me when I say this. When He exposes these things, He's not trying to shame you. When He exposes these things, He's not trying to humiliate you and tell you how wicked and how bad you are. He wants to show you a way out. praise team you could just sing a song for us and let me just give you some time from where you are let's take some time to pray seek the Lord yes Holy Spirit would you come and help us